Walk in the spirit. How do we do that? What does that mean to walk in the spirit? People have different ideas of what that means. Some people just disregard it for the most part. Other people get very touchy-feely with their their walking with the Lord and everything is a sign and everything's a vibration and everything's a feeling, right? So what does it mean to walk in the spirit? Acts 2, we've read this verse several times. There's a lot of doctrine that's introduced here. That's why we're taking the time to march through it, right? Um, But it says in verse number 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then he says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now we're gonna cover some of the basic doctrinal points of the Holy Spirit then we're going to arrive at this destination of walking in the spirit, okay? That is the goal for the sermon today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for an opportunity to worship you today. I pray that you would help us to walk in the spirit. Lord, help us to understand the truth that you have for us today. Please help me as I preach. Well, Father, if there's someone here today who does not know that if they died, that they would go to heaven, They've never been saved. They've never given you their heart. They've never recognized you as being the truth. I pray that you would move that person one step closer and today would be the day of their salvation. Bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once a man planted a garden and was delighted when shoots emerged. Every day he watered and weeded and his garden grew until he was ecstatic to see plants bearing produce. However, a few days later, he went to his garden and was dismayed. Every plant showed evidence of hungry rodents and rabbits that had raided his crop. So he decided to put up a fence. A few days later, the man again went to his garden and saw the same thing. So he put up another fence. A few days later, saw the same thing, put up another fence. A few days later, saw the same thing, put up another fence. Every time he checked, he found vermin had raided the garden. Finally, he realized critters could go over, through, or under each of the fences So he decided to build a brick wall with a deep concrete foundation. Weeks later, he climbed the garden wall and was horrified to find it was choked with weeds. The ground was cracked, the plants wilted, and worst of all, his crop was gone. Trusting in the wall's protections, he had forgotten to tend the garden. He failed to realize the wall was blocking the sun's rays. He also completely overlooked the greatest threat to his garden, the animals that had been inside all along. How many Christians trust in building walls in their life? 
We simply can add more rules and more rules and more rules, good rules, biblical rules. When we're talking about walking in the spirit, we're talking about having, not adding a bunch of rules to your life, but learning to have a relationship with the Lord. Like in our illustration about fruit, we have to learn to protect that relationship. However, sometimes when we begin to learn about Christianity and we grow and we learn what God wants us to do and not do, it's very easy to say either it's all about the rules, it's all about the fences, it's all about building, building brick walls and I have to do this and I have to do this. Meanwhile, truly in our hearts, spiritually, we're really dry and dead. Or some people try to go the other route and they basically say, no walls, no fences. I'm just going to have a relationship with God. I'm not going to protect myself from anything. Both of these are folly. We're going to see here in Acts chapter number two, in verse number 38, Peter preaches the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Again, they're talking about someone that they had seen personally. They knew Jesus and the fact that they had seen him. These were the ones who had seen Jesus and had said, crucify him, crucify him. They had been a part of that crowd. He said, with wicked hands, you have crucified the son of God. Peter said that. But then he said, this was the Messiah. This was God's son. And he has proven that through his resurrection from the dead. So he preached unto them the gospel. He preached that Christ died on the cross for their sin and then rose again three days later. And so he gives them the message of repent. Repent means to turn. It means to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart, and for that to result in a change of direction. It's not just, hmm, I'm going to see the wisdom of that and I think that's true, but it changes nothing in my life. It means that if you're really going to believe it, there's going to be a discernible difference. There's going to be a change. Now remember, the Bible says we accept Christ with our heart. So the first change comes inside. The correct pattern is first for us to accept Christ as our Savior in our heart. We accept him, and then because he is now inside, we'll look at this in a moment, because the Holy Spirit now resides in our heart, the Holy Spirit then begins to use the word of God and his presence to show us things in our life that we should both do and not do. But that first starts in the inside, and then it begins to grow out. This is one of the fundamental differences between Bible Christianity and religion. Religion always comes from the outside and tries to work itself into our heart. I'm going to do this ritual and hope it changes me on the inside. I'm going to get baptized and hope that washes away my sin. I'm going to count the rosary or some other form of prayer beads. And I'm going to hope that this ritual does this. I'm going to light incense. Many religions share many similar practices. I'm going to kneel in a certain direction. I'm going to worship in a particular type of a structure. I'm going to, how about this one? I'm going to restrict my diet. What are these things? Guys, these are outside physical things that we're hoping has an internal spiritual change. 
Friend, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We accept Christ by faith. We hear the message. It's not an academic exercise. It is a spiritual exercise of faith. We hear the message, but it's not just the words coming out of my mouth or the words off of a page. We believe in the one true God whose spirit is here with us now. And the spiritual power, the spiritual person of God, the Holy Spirit, accompanies the message of the gospel as it is preached. And as the gospel is being preached or the gospel is being shared with another individual, a mother shares it with her child, a friend shares it with another friend, or a pastor or a speaker shares it with a whole room full of people. God himself, the Holy Spirit, accompanies that message and it begins to work in the deepest part of our being. We are made of body, of soul, our psyche, and of spirit. Spirit is the deepest part of us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number two that we are, are basically, we are born with our spirit dead in trespasses and sins. Now listen, when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that he had the spiritual power to bring resurrection life to our spirit. Who else has done that? No one else has done that in history. The same God that created us, the same God that created human beings, brought life. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We have the nature of sin. We naturally lean into our sinful passions. But we also make choices. And Jesus died for both. He died to redeem us. When we hear the message of the gospel, his spirit accompanies that message. And that is why we know when we as a Christian are sharing the gospel with somebody, we're not sharing it alone. The Lord himself is helping us as we share the gospel message. When somebody hears the gospel who's never heard of the gospel, there is something working inside their heart. It is God himself convincing them that says, this is the truth. Are we here? Are we listening? Are we good? Am I speaking the truth so far? Yes. There have been so many testimonies of those who have never heard the gospel before. Whether they come from a third world country and they haven't had access to it or perhaps a very far advanced country in in science and technology, but they've never heard the gospel either. It doesn't matter where you're from and what your background is. So many have said, if there is a true God, that's what it should be like. And there is a true God, and that's what it is like. A God that loves us so much that he died on the cross for our sin. That took our sin upon himself and rose again from the dead, giving victory over sin, death, and the grave. And then when we accept him by faith, not through ritual, but simply by a depth of belief and trust that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, and that he will do it for me if I trust him. That's what it means to be saved. And that's the message that Peter was preaching. Repent. And because we have trusted Christ as our Savior, you will then get baptized as an outward show that what he did for your spirit in bringing your spirit alive, that he quickened your spirit or made it alive, 
It's an outward show. I'm identifying with the one who has brought life to my spirit. He has made me a spiritual being now. That's what it means to be baptized. When we're baptized, we're in water. We're plunged underneath as an act of identifying with Christ's death. Then we're brought back to life again in showing that now we are identifying with the resurrection of Christ. Does the baptism save us? No. Because outward things do not bring spiritual life. A question is, well, but all of these rituals that we do in whatever religion we want to choose out. If, that, if there was power in that ritual, why do we feel compelled to continue to do the ritual? If the ritual was powerful enough to bring life to my spirit, why must I do it again next week? Why must I do it again tomorrow? Why must I look at the clock and make sure I do it at a specific time, day after day, after day after day? Why must I go out and purchase the necessary religious objects? Why must I constantly look at a menu and say, no, I can't eat that or I can't do that? No, I have to do this. No, I have to do that. In some cases, people even wear a particular set of clothing, all in a way to try to bring life to their spirit to achieve salvation. In different religions, they call it different things. To find that peaceful connection with God. But the fact is, is that it doesn't work. And so they must strive day after day after day after day. But here's the thing, is that just as Christ was once raised from the dead, when we call on Christ for salvation, placing our faith and trust in him, in his finished work, the spirit of God comes into our body and he raises our spirit from being dead in trespasses and sins. We are alive with Christ from that moment onward. It is not a process we have to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, many of us know this verse. Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Notice verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. How many times did Christ die for our sins? Once. How many times will we die as human beings? Once. We say, well, different religions have different beliefs. Some believe in re, uh, reincarnation. Uh, some the Catholics, they believe in a purgatory. Many other religions believe in a version of those two things. But how many times did Christ die? Once. How many times, how many times did, he, did he rise from the dead? Once. For me to lose my salvation and have to get re-saved all over again would mean several things. It would mean that Christ's one death on the cross was not good enough to save me and keep me saved. And for me to get re-saved again would mean that he would have to come back and die on the cross all over again. And my friend, that's not going to happen. 
He died once. We live once. We need to be saved once. And he's coming back for us once. Now, Jesus made some promises to his believers. He made this promise. In John 14, let's look at that. That's why Peter is preaching this message. In a few verses before, John 14. I love verse number one. Notice he was speaking verse number one to his believers, to disciples. We need to hear this verse. This verse is good for, for us. We should memorize this one if you haven't already. John 14, verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. Amen. <laughs> you believe in God, believe also in me. But when we're trying to lead someone to Christ, we need to ask them, do you believe in God? If they don't believe in God, we need to start with that. If they believe in God, we need to take Jesus's cue here and say, you believe in God, believe also in Christ, okay? And then we can use and show them scripturally, Jesus is God. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled, my friends. We experience depression, we experience anxiety, doubt, fear, agitation, frustration. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, okay? Verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. For were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Yes, he did. Yes, he did say that. And yes, he is doing that. Wow, what a place that must be. If he can create the whole world in six days, but he's been a couple thousand years preparing a place for us. Mm, it's gonna be good. I go to prepare a place for you. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Man, what these are good. We need, hey, in, in the political climate that we're seeing and all the crazy stuff and all the agitation and terrorists and bombs and, and whatever's going on in your life and the news and whatever medical thing you have going on, let not your heart be troubled. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in him, an active trust in him. Not just, oh, I believe in him. You know, I believe in God. No, 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 no. Relationship. Now we're getting to the relationship part in just a moment, but, but notice he, started, he starts with this. He starts with all of these beautiful, wonderful promises. He's talking to his disciples. He's in just a few hours time, he's gonna go and die on the cross. They're going to know that he physically is going to die. And he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He's comforting them before this, this, this big, huge trial they're about to go, for, go through. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Gentlemen, don't be upset. I'm gonna come back for you, right? And receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, if you're a believer in Christ and you die, where does your spirit go immediately? It goes to be with Jesus. How do we know that? Because that's what he just said. 
That's what he just said. Let not your heart be troubled. If you die, where are you going? I'm going to go be with Jesus. There's the verse right there. And there's many others. Verse four, and, and whither I go, you know, meaning the, where I'm going, you know where I'm going, he said, and you know the way, the way you know. Now here's one, here's one, I like Thomas, right? Because he's an always get it. And, and, and if we, we, we sometimes read Thomas, we think, ah, oh, you know, doubting Thomas. Uh, come on, we're all a little bit like Thomas from time to time. Jesus tells us stuff and he's like, oh yeah, you already know this, Thomas. Like, I kind of don't, Right? Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? Thomas is like, I don't know either one of those two things. I should know this, but I'm a little confused. Can you help me please? Verse six, Jesus saith unto him, ah, what a verse. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father but by me. Well, I'm just gonna go to heaven the way, the way, my way. No, you're not. You're going to go Jesus's way. He is the way to the father. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Because he is the way to heaven. Where's he going? He's going to go see his father in heaven. He's going to build mansions. You see all the theology that's right here, all this wonderful, beautiful doctrine. Absolutely. It's incredible. And we're, we're all leading up to the point where he's saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Okay. Verse seven, if he had known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth, you you know him and have seen him. Okay, now look with me at verse number 16. He says, and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Notice in the King James that that word comforter is capitalized And then it begins to explain who that comforter is in verse number 17. Even the spirit, capital S, person, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he shall dwell with you and shall be in you. He promised that when he dies on the cross and then ascends to heaven, he will send the Holy Spirit, which is what we've read about in Acts chapter number two. Okay. And he's going to be in us. This came to pass in Acts chapter two, which is why Peter is saying, repent for the remission or forgiveness of sins, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay? Notice it says in verse number 18, I will not leave you comfortless. What a blessing. What a blessing. I will not leave you comfortless. I love the fact that when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and this passage, he primarily uses this name of comforter. I don't know about you, but I need comfort. I need to be reassured and comforted. It's going to be okay. I need to be reassured and comforted. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I need to be comforted. Listen, that this Christian life is not about building walls of rules, but it's about a relationship. 
I need a relationship with God. How do we do that? By curating a relationship with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who lives inside. Now, we're speaking here about the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Father, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three in one, and yet they are three different persons. You say, well, try to explain that. We have to accept it by faith. The easy way for us to explain, now this is not completely doctrinally crisp and clear as what I'm about to say, but if we think about this in just, in just this way, God the Father is, is the one that is in this world and he's, and we can kind of think of him as here, but he's out there. Jesus Christ is the one that assumed the body, came into the body, was crucified, and then he went to heaven with that same body. And the Holy Spirit is the one who now is in the world, but primarily dwells inside of the hearts of believers. The Bible also says that with unbelievers, that he is working in them to reprove them of sin. And then one day in the tribulation, the Holy Spirit is going to be, he's going to come off of the influence of the world and just kind of let lost people do what lost people do. Have you ever, ever heard a lost person that, you know, they're about to do something really bad and they're like, something stopped me. What was the something? It wasn't a something, it was a someone. Okay, that was the Holy Spirit that was kind of working in their heart for them not to do as bad of a thing as they were about to do or think. Are we okay? We listening? Okay, now again, that explanation of the Trinity is not 100% doctrinally crisp and accurate as that because they are three in one, but it just kind of helps me think about um, kind of understanding a little bit. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we have to remember the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He holds all the same attributes the Father and the Son hold, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, etc., etc. And when the Holy Spirit is described, it's always described as a person, not a feeling or an influence. Okay? He's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible says that, that uh, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit is not, can, he does not have a body. He is the spirit of God. Okay? In the scripture, when we talk about the spirit of Christ and the, the Holy Spirit, those are the same thing. They're interconnected. They're distinctly different, but they're interconnected. But we, we need to understand the Holy Spirit is a person, not a feeling or an influence. He, he experiences grief and pain when we sin. An influence could not experience grief and pain um, when we sin. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse number 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon Old Testament saints to give them power for a specific purpose. This is why David prayed in Psalm 51 for the Holy Spirit not to depart from him when he, when he sinned with Bathsheba and he committed adultery and then murdered her husband. He prayed this prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 and verse number 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence 
and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual for, for a specific task. But we in the New Testament age, after the death of Christ, when we are saved, we immediately receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's not upon us. He's in us, as Jesus said. He will be in us. Okay? Let's look at a few scriptures together, and then we'll talk briefly about walking in the Spirit, and then we will be done. Let's look at um, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1.13. Okay. It says in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, speaking of Christ, let back up at verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. Notice this is exactly what we find in Acts chapter 2. They heard the truth, they trusted in Christ, same pattern. Okay, that's why we can say, as we said earlier, this is not something from Acts 2 that we discard. This is something that we keep. This is something that is found throughout the New Testament. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. It's the same message that Peter is saying. He's saying if you believe for repentance or repent for remission of sins or forgiveness of sins, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We find the exact same process here. You trusted in Christ. You heard the word of truth. You heard the gospel. At that moment, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have gotten all of the Holy Spirit there is to get. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, we're not waiting for a second blessing. Amen. We're not waiting for a second blessing. Uh, we're not going to pray for God to give us more of the Holy Spirit. We're not waiting for more. Biblically, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we get all of the Holy Spirit at that moment. Okay? Now, this is important because there are some people out there who would try to ask you if you've had certain emotional experiences or certain feelings or certain vibrations and they say, oh, you haven't prayed for the second blessing. You haven't gotten all the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, we have. How do you know that? Because the Bible says here and in many other passages. Okay, Romans chapter 8 is another one. All of Romans chapter 8 nearly is about, is about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time to go through all of it. Okay. But when we accepted Christ, listen, we got all of the forgiveness We've, we are completely, uh, the sacrifice of Christ completely appeased God for our salvation. We don't have to find some ritual that we do and that suffering and that inconvenience and that cost, right? Or that restriction or those rules that does not appease God for our salvation's sake. Christ did all of that. He fulfilled the law, all of the Old Testament rules. He did all of those for us. 
Okay? So when we accept Christ, we've got, our sins are completely forgiven. I stand redeemed, the song says. Okay? We are absolutely redeemed. And because we're absolutely redeemed, then the Holy Spirit comes into that forgiven vessel, that body, that spirit. He comes into us. You say, well, I remember when I asked Jesus to save me, I had this feeling. Well, praise the Lord. Some people may or may not have had a feeling. It's not a feeling we're looking for. Some people, man, when they get saved, they're just crying and weeping and snots flying and they're just, they can't talk and they're stumbling around. Other people, they just kind of bow their head, silently pray. Okay. Did you get it or not? You know for sure you're going to heaven? Yeah. Did you ask Jesus to save you? Yeah. No, I don't think you got it. Why? Well, because there's no tears. You see, when I got it, it was, it was a mess. I couldn't talk for days. Look, the Bible doesn't say that. Come on now. Okay. And so don't think you're missing something because your experience is not the same as someone else's. Yeah? Okay? All right? We're not looking for a second blessing here. The Bible says that he has, he, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay? And briefly, the Holy Spirit is God's earnest. It says that in the next verse. We are sealed and it's his earnest. Sealed, meaning our spirit is sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance. What's our inheritance? Going to heaven, being with Jesus. Okay, earnest meaning I have the Holy Spirit. I can't lose him. If I do sin, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. He's grieved, but he's not going to leave. Praise God. When Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He meant that, and though he's not here in his body on earth anymore, remember, he sent the Holy Spirit, and that is the fulfillment of that promise. And then either when we die, we're immediately going to be with Christ, I will never leave you nor forsake you, or Jesus comes back for the rapture, we're immediately going to be in his presence then. Praise God. Okay? So we've got the presence of God right here. Well, how? Because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within our spirit, okay? And because he lives inside of the, of, of the body of the believer, that means that God promises you can't lose your salvation because he's the earnest. I don't know if you've ever purchased something large like a vehicle or a house. Once you give the earnest money, the down payment money, there's kind of no going back after that, okay? And especially in God's economy, when we've accepted Christ as our Savior, he's given us the Holy Spirit. And so he's promising, yeah, I'm going to come and take you to heaven. I've given you my Holy Spirit. That's the promise. That is the earnest. That is the seal. The seal of the Holy Spirit also means that we as believers cannot be possessed by a demon. Oh, I knew this one believer and he was possessed by a demon. No, they weren't. It's not possible. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who has sealed us from that. Amen. Are we okay so far? I know this is doctrinal and thick. This is the, 
This is the thick peanut butter you have to stir because it's got the it's got the layer of oil on top, right? But this is the good stuff because this is the stuff that messes with our minds sometimes. Because we had a bad day and we think, oh no, maybe the Holy Spirit left me. No, he didn't. It just means you had a bad night's sleep or or you mean you go to the medical doctor or stop eating pizza at one in the morning. Or whatever it is. Okay? We received all the Holy Spirit upon the moment of salvation. Peter was teaching here they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit upon repentance and faith in Christ. Okay, now let's go back to Galatians and we'll be done. Galatians, just a few uh, pages before, we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit because of our salvation. He dwells within us, but now God wants us to walk in the Spirit. Okay? Um, it means we need to walk in agreement with and yield to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Here is the truth about being a believer in Christ. The Bible teaches very clearly that we have two natures now that dwell within our bodies. We have the old nature and we have the new nature. We have our old habits and our old way of thinking and our old nature that, that, that leans into doing things the wrong way, the sinful way. And then we have the new nature. We have the Holy Spirit that wants us to walk and live according to the way God wants us to do things. The Bible says in Galatians 5, and look with me at verse number 15. Well, let's look at verse number 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, is that the old nature or is that the new nature that wants to do that? The, the, old, the new nature wants to do that. The old nature does not want to love our neighbor as ourself. Right? Look at verse number 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. When you have an argument and you always take things too far and it's like biting and devouring. That's some people's relationships. Right? That's what it's describing. Is that the old sinful nature or is that the new nature? Well, that's the old nature, right? I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself and not bite and devour. I'd rather bite and devour and win every time. That's the old nature, right? What does it say, verse 16? This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Notice the battle going on here. Just because you're saved, doing right is not automatic. Whatever you feel is not necessarily God telling you to do that thing. There has to be intention. You have to intentionally follow God and follow God's word. It has to be on purpose. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. All of those are sexual sins. Verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft. Those are spiritual sins. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, 
envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, big parties, crazy parties, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Meaning those people who habitually do those things are not in any way showing that they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit would be convicting them and working in their heart and in their mind, pulling them away from that kind of habitual behavior. Okay, but here's the question. If you're saved, could you be tempted to do some of these things? Yes. Why? Because we still have the old nature. We still have the lust. So we have to make a choice. Are we going to make those choices? Are we going to lean into the old feelings and the old way of thinking? Or are we going to feed the new nature with the word of God, with good worship, and with, uh, with prayer? Are we going to lean into the new nature? And really, your life is determined by which nature you're going to lean into. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, sorry, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. You ask 10 different Christians, what does it mean to walk in the spirit? You're probably going to get 10 different answers. And the 10 different answers may not necessarily be wrong. But if I'm going to boil it down to just one thing, one thing? If I'm going to boil it down to one thing, it's going to be yield. Yield to the new nature. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to God. Okay? Otherwise, if you're not actively yielding, then you are actively walking in the flesh. And you're going to try to do right in your own power. But we can't do right in our own power. We need, we need God's power to do right. Okay? Because it's so easy for us to be selfish and sinful. We need to yield to his control. We say, well, I want to do right, but I don't really want to become one of those church people. I remember thinking that myself. Grew up in church, but in my mind, I'm like, I really don't want to be one of those church people. Pastor, do I really have to wear a suit? Suits are not in the Bible. But yielding is. We've got to stop giving God a list and saying, God, I want to do right, but under these circumstances, I don't want to do any of this. God doesn't do that. God, I want, I want to yield to you, but I, I really don't want, I think I'm scared God's going to make me. What is it? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I'm really scared he's going to make me change. Yielding is really saying, God, you're in control of my life. I'm going to listen to you. If you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. There are no terms. You know, they, they did the, the Israel and the Palestinian. They're, they're coming together and they, they have terms and this and that. Or that. It's, coming, it's coming to God saying, I have no terms. 
I'll do whatever you want me to do. Uh, last illustration will be done. We've all seen those moving sidewalks in the airport. A story is told about this pastor who's trying to get to his flight, and we all hate this, right? Planes delayed, we arrive late, we get in, the first thing we do is find one of those big boards, we find our flight destination, and we see boarding now. It's on the other side of the airport. <gasps> Always wear running shoes when you travel, by the way. <gasps> and you're running, trying to get there, oh my goodness. And he talked about how he's sweating and puffing and out of breath and dragging his luggage, and he looked over. And there's this guy that's walking just as fast as he is, but he is not out of breath. The difference was he was on that moving sidewalk, right? So many times in the Christian life, it's like, why is this so hard? Friend, yield. Yield. Don't give God terms. Whatever you want. And then all of a sudden now you'll find, wow, this is so much easier. It's not effortless, it's easier. Because now you have the power of the Holy Spirit helping you. He's helping you along. He's helping you make those right choices. His fruit is now evidence in your life because you've yielded. Now you get to experience the power of him helping you make the choice of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law, meaning there's no limitation to these. We need to yield. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.